How many times over the last year have you visited a restaurant and sitting at the table right in front of you was a barcode? And that led you to all the information you needed. From drinks to desserts and entrees and everything in between, that simple code unlocked a handful of opportunities and experiences all through technologies that already exist within your phone. With more than 2 billion QRC and NFC-enabled devices in use today, including the cell phone you might be listening to this podcast on, and in the midst of a global pandemic, QR codes have undergone a renaissance and companies such as RRD are rushing to meet your needs. We create those touch points, something that triggers the experience. And that can happen way before you get to a payment machine. That can happen on a label on the outside of a product, on signage outside of a building, on a post in front of a parking space. Any number of different ways where a individual can engage a device where they are basically triggering a touchless experience. Making smartphones smarter and the user experience better through taps, snaps, or scans is RRD's latest piece of communication technology, Touchless World. Ken O'Brien is the EVP and CIO of RRD, a leading global provider of marketing and communications. And while you might not think RRD is known for its transformational technology, you'd be flat out wrong. On this episode of IT Visionaries, Ken provides context for how RRD's touchless world operates and how this company is helping its clients leverage NFC technology to deliver seamless customer experiences. Plus, Ken dives into the challenges that a company currently faces, including how it's managing its technology debt after being in business for more than a century. IT Visionaries is created by the team at mission.org and brought to you by Salesforce Platform, the number one cloud platform for digital transformation of every experience. Innovate fast, empower every employee, and scale with confidence from anywhere with a customer at the center of everything you do. Learn more at salesforce.com slash platform. Welcome everyone to another episode of IT Visionaries. And today we have EVP and CIO of RRD, that is RR Donnelly, Ken O'Brien. Ken, welcome to the show. Well, thank you. Appreciate it. Yeah, I just dropped three acronyms right out the gate. Now, we joked about it beforehand, but I do want to talk to you a little bit about it. Tell the audience what RR Donnelly or now RRD is, because I feel like a lot of us have seen possibly the name of the business in other parts of our world or lives or maybe on LinkedIn. But I don't know if everyone knows what RR Donnelly does. <laughs> Give us an idea of what RR Donnelly is involved in or RRD now. Yeah. That's a fun question because usually, you know, when you're at a party and somebody says, what do you do? I'll say, I work for R.R. Domini and they say the phone book people. It's That's what I thought. <laughs> no longer the phone book people, uh, but we are still um, one of the world's largest communications management companies. So when you think about that, it really ranges from anything uh, that comes in the mail, it's on packaging, um, things that you get online. We, we send out billions of uh, digital communications and it's for all kinds of companies. So you think B2B, we're sending out bank statements, healthcare documents. And on the other side of that, we're helping manage communications for retailers and their stores, packages that they send out. And then you go a little bit deeper, you, you see us getting involved in things like packaging design. Um, we are probably one of the larger distributors of COVID test kits right now. So we, we have a pretty significant supply chain management uh, service. And then uh, internationally, 
We help with uh, business process outsourcing out of India. We have a significant uh, packaging business out of China. Um, just a little bit of everything that, that sort of falls into that big category of communications. Uh, when I say communications, people think phone companies or network companies. No, it's, it's really a lot about printing the communications you read all around you all the time. Yeah. So, you know, if we take a look at the website, it talks about services and business support, marketing, data insights, print, creative. It lists a bunch of software products. It looks like Acuity, Cloud Direct, Connect One. We'll talk about those in a little bit. And then industries, you got the gamut, financial services, grocery, healthcare, quick serve, retail, travel, and hospitality. So let's give our audience an idea of the scope, size, and scale. Because this is a massive company. We looked on LinkedIn. It's over 20,000 employees. It's a huge, huge company. But give us an idea of the size and scope of like the projects you guys engage in. So when you say you want to print something and distribute it, a lot of people think, oh, yeah, I'm going to bring some flyers to like a uh, to a trade show. No, 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 no. You're doing something at a different scale. Give us an idea of the scale of customer, what your customers are attempting to accomplish uh, with RRD. You know, it's interesting when you say that we, we actually do support a, a lot of small businesses when it comes to everything from flyers to direct mail. Um, we will absolutely pr print the uh, flyer for your local soccer team. But in the larger uh, scope, we, we process in the billions. So you think about probably the top 400 Fortune 500 companies, we help them manage their communications at some level. Uh, we hold, for instance, in our repositories, 20 billion digital documents that consumers access through their banking institutions or through other or large organizations that they work with. So on an annual basis, we are one of the largest clients of the postal service. We're probably one of the largest clients of your biggest logistics companies in terms of what we produce and send out. It is a massive scale. At one time, before we split up the company, we represented as much as half of what arrived in your mailbox every day. So that's the kind of scale that we deal with uh, in terms of volume of, of production. So give us an idea of what that means for you as a CIO of this company, because the one thing I'm very familiar with in media production right now is that the projects are huge. They're typically quite private. You're talking about distributing this information across, I don't know how many manufacturing facilities you got. You got customer engagements. Most CIOs we work with or talk on the show, they've ultimately had to build let's say solutions that, you know, because nothing out of the box solved what they needed. Talk to me about your role as a CIO and what does it mean? And what are you most actively involved in? Is it just connecting all these pieces? It's building custom software solutions to implement and service the, the lines of business that you guys have? Give us an idea of what you're up to. I think um, the challenge for our industry comes on two different sides. One, we are and have been for many, many years, the leader, one of the leaders, at least, I, I think probably the more technically advanced leader in our industry, trying to break that new ground. How do we do that transition or make that transition, say, from physical printed products to digital communications? And so we do have a lot of first time custom type solutions that we've built over the years. And as I said, I've been with the company for 25, 26 years now. So there's been a, there's been a lot of change in our industry. And, and a lot of that has come through the advancement or innovation through technology. So we have had a wonderful opportunity to do that. Now, my role at R. Donnelly, I'm responsible for all technology across the globe. And we are an international organization. We have manufacturing facilities around the globe, largely in the United States, but around the globe. 
And part of our challenge, of course, is we work with clients that are also international. So they want us to be able to move communications or move data and produce communications around the globe seamlessly. So one of our challenges is making all that work, tying all of that together so that we can leverage our scale and our capacity of our facilities around the globe. That's been one of what I'd call the internal challenges. It's making sure that our clients never see us struggle to produce the scale of of, uh, material that they want us to produce. The other challenge, though, that we have is we are also a company that has been made up of a number of acquired entities over the years. As you would expect, there's a lot of consolidation in our industry. So we have a lot of technology debt. And that's, that's one of the challenges we have to work through is to not let that technology debt um, be an encumbrance to us, be a, be a hurdle that we have to overcome to advance the organization, to continue to differentiate us in our marketplace and differentiate us, again, largely using technology and, and innovative solutions. So uh, I get to play on both sides of that, which is a little bit of a challenge. I, I will admit uh, in, in any day that I like the, the forward piece of that. I like the innovative piece of that more, but it's very, very necessary for a company that has hundreds of locations, is, uh, you know, a conglomerations of dozens of acquisitions that we have to work through all of those um, historical platforms and technology that's been brought into the organization over the years. That's a part of who we are. Uh, So I think that's really maybe the best way to describe the role is I have to play on both sides of that. Yeah. So let's talk about both parts. We'll talk about the less fun part first, which is the the bringing in of a new business. Because so in my past, I worked as a a consulting group that did ERP consulting. And I remember we worked with a company that was acquired another one. Um, I mean, it's fine. The statute of limitations is over now. So Aco Brands had required GBD binding company. And I remember the goal was, okay, so we're going to use the same ERP. And they said, no, we're not. I said, what do you mean? It's like, we're going to continue running the business (laughs) as two separate entities for whatever period of time. We're going to slowly phase it in. And then I was, and I just kept thinking, well, that means you need to run two instances of like at bare minimum, right? Accounting, accounting and inventory. You got to have two separate instances and then you're going to have to somehow manually combine this. Like, well, no, we're going to build an interface and pull this data in together. And then that interface will combine it. And I was thinking to myself, this sounds like so painful, but why is it hard? Give us, give our audience a re- reason because, or some understanding, because I think a lot of our audience might be cloud, cloud native, where maybe merging technologies is as simple as, oh, we just move to the same software stack. But no, you guys have technical limits. You have physical, like typically infrastructure system limits. Give us an idea why this is a challenge. Well, and um, it's a great question because I think it is often misunderstood and and too often by our own organizations that's that, okay, look, just we're going to bring these two entities together and hey, you IT people, you know, make it all work. Yeah, just code it up. (laughs) Buy some seats. (laughs) The challenge starts with um, obviously the diversity of technology. And as you know, you know, you may have your mainstream applications, your core applications, and it could be your ERP or your MRP or your, your HR systems, and, and those tend to be the ones that are more often than not standardizable, if that's a word. And um, you have a faster path to that because you do usually have a core platform that you're trying to move to. The challenge, of course, becomes all those other systems that are on the perimeter or um, have been built uh, in custom shops over the years and trying to make those work together. And then those make those work with your ERP and build those interfaces into that. And then here's the big kicker. 
Many times the systems that you have are tied into your customers' environments. And your customers or your clients don't want to switch. They don't want to change. They don't care that you want to get to one refined ERP. They want to use and work with you the way they've been working with you for the past five years. So now you have a standardization initiative that you'd like to go through. You've centered in on a core platform, a core technology that you want to move the organization to. And you think, hey, on my own, I could get this done in 12 months, 18 months. And then you find yourself three years later still pounding away at it because you've got three clients that are your best and most profitable clients who have said, no, we don't want to do it. (laughs) And what's your answer to that, right? Your answer to that is, absolutely, I appreciate that. We're going to do exactly what you want because you're our best client. (laughs) And that's just been our reality for years and years. You think about the diversity of our client base. We deal with the majority of the Fortune 2000, the majority of the Fortune 500, and think about the diversity of that universe and how often that group of, of clients changes and we have to service them. It's not about servicing us. And that's really, I think, the core of the challenge for us is, is really doing all the things we want to do in concert with our clients. So I'm going to just kind of share a little bit of my experience with that, what you're talking about. In this case, it was a hotel operator, major hotel operator, publicly traded hotel company that also sold franchises. So it's like, and I can just envision this. You're talking about like an order management system where they're ordering, let's say their materials that they need for to operate their business. They probably have some type of system. Every franchisee is probably using that system. They've probably been selling Unifarm franchise orders. You're talking about a scale of, let's say, Let's imagine it was like four, because I think this was like 4,000, 4,000 hotels. Let's say there were, you know, a couple hundred probably businesses that operate those 4,000 hotels, all using one system. So I can see that it's going to be pushback to say like, hey, don't change it on us. In fact, I remember they talked about like one of their uh, top technologists talked about the key to winning inside of our org when it comes to outside vendors is like reliability in the act that you won't change because they don't want to change with every change you make. <laughs> that's, that's what one of the guys told me. <laughs> that's it, right? You know, and, and that, that's what makes the second part of this, and you may not be ready to go there yet, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to teach you this a little bit. Yeah, let's go there. That's what makes the second part of this so important because how do you make that happen? You have to give them a better mousetrap. You have to convince them that the technology I'm moving you to has the right kind of advantages, the right kind of capabilities that are going to not only help us, but differentiate them in the marketplace. So if it is a new, let's say, for instance, label solution for the touchless world, or it's a new type of digital document or an interactive digital document, an interactive bank statement, for instance, or interactive utility bill, that they can now move to that new technology platform and create a different experience for their customers. When you make that happen, you connect those dots. Now you've got a reason for them to move and they're much more willing and motivated to move with you. But that's why those two things have to work together. Far more often, we find ourselves in a position to say, okay, I'm going to make it worth your while because here's something new I'm going to provide on top of the new platform that's going to make you look better to your clients. That's when we see the acceleration. So do you typically, you know, when they always talk about in software development that they want to do some, maybe some user testing, kind of launch versions and get some feedback. Is that how you guys approach it? Or do you guys say, hey, listen, there's gonna be too many businesses. There's gonna be too many opinions here. We're not gonna get a real true answer. Let's just go ahead and develop the software and then (laughs) incorporate them in. How do you guys go about this new level of 
let's say, transformation? It's a little bit of both. It has to be a little bit of both. If, if we waited for to get everyone's opinion, we would we would never get anywhere. And certainly sorting through the diversity of that would, would make that impossible. But you also have what I would call enabling clients. You have those clients that they themselves are on the leading edge or they themselves are pushing through a new space in the market. And so, you know, our ability to align with them, get them to provide feedback and insights into what they believe that user experience should be, could be, that, that's always a better place for us to be to, to launch new technology. Again, to your point, bringing everybody into that equation is, is probably not practical, but we absolutely engage with some of the larger customers or, or even clients that might be smaller, but are considered innovators in the industry. So what are some of the big movements you're starting to see customers demand of you or that are happening in your industry? What are some like fundamental shifts that are happening right now? Yeah, great question. Um, well, first and foremost, it is the user experience. I think, you know, call client experience, however many, there's so many different acronyms that we're using out there for that experience of the end consumer, the end client. But that's not just for end consumers, you think retail, that's for everybody. That's for students in education, that's for patients in healthcare, that's for tellers and, and floor managers for financial institutions. It's what is that experience? How can I make that as not just easy as possible, it used to be easy, but now it's more aligned with what they're trying to accomplish. And, and do they feel like that they've engaged to the level where they understand, they've accomplished what they want to accomplish. And for most businesses, you're now taking them to the next place. Where do you want them to go from here? And that's a lot of what clients are asking of us. They certainly are still, as you would expect, there's a lot of times that we're hearing from our clients, do something to cut costs. Help us do this more economically. Um, put some automation in that makes this cheaper for us to do. And, um, it's got to be, from that perspective, a lot easier for us. And I think that there's always going to be that underlying, you know, client interactions. But if, if you really want to know what makes our builds, what I'd call the right kind of built bridges and relationships with our clients, is that innovative element that says, change my end user experience, make it make that better. The other big things I think you're going you're gonna to hear, continue to hear more about, certainly digital uh, payment platforms, digital transactions. You've heard, obviously, about the, the touchless world, which is a new series of, of capabilities that we've trademarked in, in, in our space. And that is all about that facilitation of touchless interactions. Uh, a lot of that's around payment systems, as, as you would expect, but it's really those, those touchless experiences um, that can be either one, while you're in a place, or from a far distance. And making those all kind of work together from a customer experience uh, standpoint as well. So, so those are the two big ones that I think we're engaging in right now. Maybe a third one, if I was going to throw it out there, is, is a lot of the work that's happening in the healthcare space. Uh, COVID is not gone. And as you would anticipate, there's going to be a lot of work after COVID from organizations trying to position themselves to respond to the next pandemic or to now uh, figure out how the world's going to work in a remote structure or in a remote, uh, a remote working type environment. So we think there's a lot of things that are going to can still happen there. And of course, as you would expect, a lot of communications need to go along with that. Yeah, let's let's dive into one area because I think that feeds the kind of strategy into the others. Um, this idea of touchless, because I think 
I think that, that that's a great thing to fuel. You know, most of us, when we think of touchless, we think of, let's say, like a typical, like you said, payments gateway, touchless interface that is, um, let's say, at my grocery store. Now, I know that NCR and other companies focus on those machines. Is that what RD is doing? Are you guys building these machines or are you building the interfaces for the touchless machines? Yeah, so so not the machines. And um, that it's it's the latter there. It's that not just the interfaces between, but the infrastructure or maybe even the ecosystem to facilitate that touchless experience. So let's let's look at all the different aspects of that, right? Something's got to trigger the the touchless experience. Now, usually that's either a device or something with a barcode. Yeah, a scan of some sort. RFID, you get all that, right? Yep. We create those touch points. And I shouldn't even, when I say touch points, it's ironic, but those trigger points, that's really what I'm talking about. Something that triggers the experience. And that can happen way before you get to a payment machine. That can happen on a label, on the outside of a product, on signage outside of a building, on a post in front of a parking space. Any number of different ways where a individual can engage a device, a phone, usually a mobile device or maybe a tablet, where they are basically triggering a touchless experience. Maybe it's information about a product or a service. Maybe it's to register their vehicle to a parking spot. Maybe it's to register for a class or order product from a restaurant. Even when you think about restaurants, even you see those kiosks on the table, mm-hmm. this means getting rid of the kiosk. You are the kiosk. Your device is now the kiosk. And so we're actually working in the opposite direction of a lot of the machine elements to try and eliminate as much of the mechanical elements as possible and allow touchless to be a barcode, an NFC chip, something triggered from wherever you are or even wherever you can point your phone, wherever you can point your device or even get your device near a triggering element. Now you've triggered the touchless world. The next piece of that is, okay, where do they end up? A website, you know, a, a, an app clip, where, where are they ending up in terms of to facilitate an experience? And then, of course, you've got all the other elements built inside of that, uh, walking them through a transaction, walk, walking them through an experience that ultimately ends with a transaction. And, of course, why do this? Well, transaction. We want to exchange money. We want, we want, we want to make money. Yeah. But what we're really part of is all of that stuff in the front of that, all of that stuff in between. And we are absolutely involved in the back-end transaction from a payment uh, processing standpoint. We don't have payment systems, but we absolutely facilitate those connections in between. So I saw this thing once on the future grocery where you could, for example, let's say you picked up, I don't know, a head of broccoli and you could scan it, right? But a head of broccoli, typically, like you said, it doesn't have a barcode on it. It's usually just a number. But then, so you could theoretically, your kiosk would have, let's say, some type of AI identification technology that it knows that something's entered the picture. It takes a picture of it, recognizes it's broccoli, and it could come back with, let's say, a recipe list where a person could then say, like, funnel through recipes, like, click add to list or add, like, add to shopping list, right? And it could spit out, let's say, a map of where all the SKUs were to pick these products up, or it could interface through NFC into your phone let's say some GPS enabled thing that would allow you to go pick out these products. I saw that as like a concept of what a future grocery store would look like. It doesn't seem that far off. Is that, that's kind of like the utility that you're thinking of? 
No, that's not that far off at all. Now, the fun thing about that one, though, is an extended beyond that, because now I'm going to sign you up for a cooking class, by the way, that you're going to pay for. And uh, after that, I'm actually going to sign you up for a delivery service that's going to deliver uh, different ingredients and products to your home so you can have your cooking class without ever going to the store. I could go on like that for a couple hours with you, but um, (laughs) you've nailed it. That really is it. It's that what's that experience that's going to allow the consumer, one, to have a better day in the store. And sometimes those days can be bad depending on how many people there or whether they move things around or I don't know what that ingredient is. So you can imagine what that's all about. And then why do I go to a checkout? I don't need to do that. Just so long as they can verify that everything in my cart has been paid for before I leave the store. Now that's, you started to talk about, well, is that RFID? Is that NFC? Do I have uh, systems in the store that actually allow you to walk through and it picks up all the products that you have in your cart and allows you to, you've already tied it to your phone when you walked into the store. So you've already got it tied to whatever payment platform you're using and bam, you're done. Is that, you, you've seen that there are, there are touchless stores out there, but that concept is really not that hard from a technological enablement. Where it becomes hard is building all the pieces underneath. I've got to have all those products in a database for image recognition. I've got to have all the mapping of the store built in each individual location already put in place. I've got to have those uh, recipe platforms and those data marks of possible combinations of meals already built in. That's really the only impediment to making that technology work is you have to build all that structure underneath. And if you ask me what, what's the one thing that's stopping it from, from accelerating any faster than it has, it's, it's that. It's building all the infrastructure underneath and all the content structure underneath. So that, that's a little bit of where I think the market is right now. I think the technology's there. I think the, the idea is solidified. It's how do you build all that structure underneath? So, and, and I'll use us as a little bit of example, if you don't mind. It's the, we produce the label that goes on the product that has the barcode. We produce the website that goes along with that. So you have a landing page where to go. That's really what has to happen for each one of these enablements to actually come to fruition. We often think about that first experience, right? I've got a phone, I pointed at a barcode, or I pointed at a piece of broccoli. That, that's the, okay, I've got that. But that's, that's just the trigger. Yeah. So when you describe this event, so do you guys work very closely with actual hardware manufacturers, like people that make sensors? Because kind of like what you talked about, right? In order for this kind of experience to occur, you need sensors, you need possibly camera, some type of machine learning or some 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 way of recognizing imagery. Uh, there's a lot of things and components at play beyond just the underlying software and architectures. Uh, actual physical hardware has to be implemented and, and stuff stuff like that. Do you guys work tightly in partnerships with these other companies or do you guys try to build things full stack? Like I'll give you the sensor, I'll give you the software, I'll give you the the payment gateways, all that good stuff. Yeah, I don't think there's, uh, in the technology world today, I don't think it's really possible to be the full stack from end to end. I do think you have to work with partners and we absolutely do. Today, it's, it's still pretty elementary. Uh, I would say that, you know, today, most of this happens from, uh, there's a barcode. Take a picture of a barcode and I can sort of make everything else happen up to the final payment. So a lot of that's still in in its infant stages. But again, 
it's still pretty advanced when you think about you know what the normal experience is for for instance a shopper or someone even in in a medical situation. But that that's the extent that's happening right now. As it advances, yes, I do think you're right. There's going to be a lot more um, machines uh, in play, whether it's sensors or cameras. Um, I do believe that's going to be part of the experience because we're going to want to engage people all along the process. So we're going to want to engage them as they're walking down the aisle. And to be able to see them walking down the aisle and say, oh, by the way, I know that's what's in the recipe, but have you thought, you know, do you want some dinner rolls with that? Or have you thought about what you're going to have for dessert? Right here, we've got this new key lime pie. You really don't want to pass that up. Why don't you pop that in your cart at the same time? So, so to be able to engage at that level where it's truly interactive along the entire experience, that's where I think you're absolutely right. It's going to be engaging with equipment manufacturers, sensors, cameras, et cetera. Today, though, there's a lot, there's a lot going on just with barcodes and NFC chips, to be honest with you. Yeah. And when companies have these big, let's say, experience plans that they want, because your customers, they have, let's say they want to create new experiences, as you suggested, right? They want your experience that they work with you to be good, any software that they integrates, but they, they're calling on you to say, hey, listen, help me solve this problem or help me implement this uh, future state solution. Do they call companies like R&D with, with a bunch of others and get you all in a room and like, hey, I want to figure out how to solve this? Or do they kind of each come to, do they come to you with unique solutions just for them that you can provide? And then slowly somehow partners get introduced. Like I'm trying to understand a little, because this is, it's interesting because it's a huge project. Like the way, the way you describe it, it's a huge project. It's a simple outcome for a customer, but it's a huge project <laughs> for you to be implemented. And I'm wondering how do they come, how do they choose you? How do they come to you and say, Hey, this is what I want from you. Yeah. Great question. Um, so let me, let me start in two answers to that question. The first one is, the good thing about this is once we develop these platforms, they are reusable. Right. So the technology that we're building is, it, it sounds really big because you have to, there's a lot of data that you have to put in place. There's a lot of things you have to put in place. But once you've done it once, twice, three times, four times, it, it does become, I don't want to say routine, but it does become easier in terms of a process. Where it becomes interesting is, is what you just talked about is that client's expectation. It's the they come to you and they say, I have this vision. And the interesting part of that is I saw this somewhere and you actually did it right at the beginning of the conversation. You said, I saw this somewhere and it's, how do I make that happen in my environment? And that's always uh, the interesting part to dissect that, to say, well, let me tell you what you really saw and why that may or may not work in your environment. So how do we get involved with that? Well, as you would expect, because this is new and it is, is sort of a, a evolving technology, there's a lot of consulting firms out there that are really designed for, let me help you go through an innovation process. Let me go through you know, the ideation and, and all of those different things that you've heard about in the industry where I can help you move from where you are to over here. Where I think our Donley gets involved, certainly we have connections with you know, those organizations and they know us well enough to say, hey, Here's a company I think you should engage with that's going to help you. But we also have the other side of that, where we've been producing communications materials for a lot of these large clients for decades, years and years. And, and they've known us to bring different types of technology solutions. The, the connection comes between understanding that connection, uh, the, the experience is a communication. And once that connection happens, then it's a logical 
step to say, okay, R.R. Donnelly helps us with communication. R.R. Donnelly can help us with an experience. Uh, and that's really how we more often get involved where we have these innovation conversations with the client and they go, okay, well, that's interesting. Let's, let's talk about how we might be able to implement a touchless solution in our store, in our warehouse, in our office building, something that would help alleviate uh, roadblocks around getting people to be informed the way they need them to be formed, maybe behave the way they'd like them to behave, engage the way they'd like them to engage. Because go back and think about it. Communication is all about getting people to be informed the way you want them to be informed, engage the way you want them to engage, behave the way you want them to behave. We're just now making that, changing that from ink on paper to a digital experience. So that's where how we connect the dots. I think that's how we like people to think about us. And um, how we get involved in these is just one experience after another. As, as you know, today, it's, it's how do you become viral? It's a lot about somebody explaining or saying, hey, I saw this or I experienced that. And I think with, with time, we'll, we'll be much more in that position as this kind of technology um, gets more widely distributed, uh, especially in the United States. So that, that's what we're counting on in terms of how we engage with clients. Yeah. What? Tell us, share some of the, maybe some of the cool experiences you've helped implement where you're really proud of. I would love for our audience to get a picture of like some of the things you get you and uh, your clients are capable of. Well, I think um, in this particular space, uh, we talk in the touchless space, we produce a lot of packages, uh, labels, um, pieces of material that when a client engages or arrives, let's, let's use the retail store because that's really easy, right? Or better yet, I'm going to use, I'm going to use um, let's say, uh, something that maybe doesn't come to mind real quickly, a parking spot. Okay. Okay. How do you pay for a parking spot downtown today? You know, you, you maybe go to a kiosk yep. or maybe you engage with something online where it'll even tell you where a parking spot is that's open, but then you have to engage. And that's okay if you do that a lot, right? I'm, I park downtown every day off of, in Chicago off of Wacker Street, so... I'm, I'm engaged with the company that I know uh, handles parking there. And I'm, I'm using their app. But what if, what if I'm not? What if I'm brand new to a town? Or what if I'm going to an entertainment venue, or let's say a football stadium or something, and I don't want to pay all those attendants. I don't want to you know, have all that, that extra technology in there. Here's a simple answer. Every parking spot has a sticker, a label, a barcode. Basically, you point your phone at the barcode, and you engage with a application that allows you to pay for that parking spot. Done. It's that quick. Instead of walking down the street, having to find the kiosk, I love it when you have to, when they ask me to put in your license plate number, how many people actually remember their license plate number? <laughs> As I get the son of a, they got to run back to the car, get the license plate number, write it down, go put it in. Usually you can remember the number. I always like those, you know, what parking space number are you in? But now I got to walk down, I got to enter it in, I got to put in my credit card. No, none of that. I'm at my parking spot. I take a picture of the barcode. And by the way, I can even take a picture of my license plate to go along with it. There's all kinds of different ways we can do the back end verification because obviously any municipality or even parking lot owner is going to want to know hey, did you pay for that spot? So how do, how do we take care of that part of the transaction as well so that both sides win? But now all I've had to do is take a picture of that, that barcode I've engaged. And, and then 
I'm done. It's easy. It's that simple. How wonderful does that sound in terms of experience? And now let's go on. Hey, by the way, I want to go ahead and engage with you and find out where do you normally park? Do you use parking all the time? Would you like to engage in our application and get your, you know, buy your monthly parking with a monthly parking fee so I can know what my revenues are going to be as a company? You can see the automatic exchange. And by the way, you want to get on our mailing list so that we can start to tell you about all the events that are going to happen in our, in our city to compel you to come down to the events and you have to use our parking spot and pay me more money for parking. Oh my gosh. And hopefully you kind of get the idea there. Yeah. That's what we try and do for clients is always push them to that. Okay, now what? Now what? What's the next engagement level? So uh, when you say, you know, what, what do we do that we're proud of? I, I love that part of what we do because um, the other side of it, and I think you even mentioned it, you know, that, that word insights. Um, we actually have a, a group of people. It's, it's called our insights group. And that's what they do is they basically say, okay, look, I got all this data coming in. We've got all this exchange going on. What, what can we learn from it to help our client go to the next level, engage at the next level, connect at the next level? That to me, I think is, is some of the most uh, exciting part of the technology that we're building out right now. So that thing that you just described where the barcode is actually just part of the, the parking spot, I've not personally experienced that, but I I've experienced all the pitfalls that you just mentioned, which is, of course, did I remember my parking spot number? No. Where's the kiosk? I don't know. I always get frustrated when the kiosk is actually in the opposite direction of where I want to go. Because it's frustrating because I got to go backtrack. Or if they're not readily available, I used to have to visit Charlotte quite often. And I remember this one parking lot. The kiosk was so far away. Uh, the one day I parked, I was like, oh, I'm near the exit. This will be good because it'll be easy for me to get in and out. But actually, the kiosk was all the way on the other side. It was pretty annoying. Yeah. And it's raining. That helps. Yeah. It's a, it's a very simple concept that I, that I, I think your example very much cements it. And in my mind, like how simple little things in your daily experience can make your life just that much better. You know, you're saving me, I don't know, a walk across a parking lot. It doesn't sound like much, but yeah, I would much rather prefer to do that than download a by the way, those apps that say that they're for parking, they always want to know your lot number. I'm like, what? I have no idea what the lot number is. So now I'm walking around, I'm walking around the parking lot like an idiot looking for some sign that tells me what the lot number is. It's like, oh, it's not only my space. I need a lot number. I don't know what this, what's going on. Yeah, this is not going to happen. I'll take the $10 ticket at this point. I don't know. <laughs> exactly. If I was on a rush, I, I don't think I'd be able to find it. But it is cool to hear some of those simple concepts. Now, you were mentioning a little earlier and this is also going to happen. This kind of technology is going to help implement. You said, you know, we're not fully out of the pandemic. Yeah, the cases are falling, but it's still very much a part of our lives right now. Where do you see some of the technologies that you're working on? Is it going to be in the return to work space? It's going to be in the consumer space? Where do you see our Donnelly playing a part in like the, the next phase of pandemic? Yeah, that, that's... um. A great question. And I'll be honest with you, you know, a lot of what we're doing right now is just trying to create a good work, uh, remote work environment experience. So, you know, similar to what you and I are doing now, um, you know, how do you make this seamless and not difficult? I don't have to buy studio equipment. I can make sure that when I'm trying to engage with somebody, I can see them and I, and I can also see the materials and all of those kinds of things. And, and that's where right now a lot of our focus is in terms of COVID or the remote uh, environment. But I do think as we move forward, it is going to be around that consumer experience at home. I mean, we all know that 
there's a big difference between going to a store and feeling a fabric yeah. or, um, you know, seeing food at a salad bar and order or in a grocery store. And what happens when we order those things online, right? Um, we have fabric that doesn't feel like it looked, or we have, you know, lettuce or you use broccoli. I'll go back to broccoli. Broccoli didn't look the same way it did in the picture when it arrived in my house. And, and we all have had those experiences. And I think it's fascinating to me how retailers have to perfect their return systems because of the amount of returns that mm. they get. That bizarre sort of, yeah, guys, we've got to make sure our returns work really well because we're going to be sending out bad product. Well, how does that even compute? So part of where I think we see the evolution here is how to make those experiences real enough that it goes back to almost the old WYSIWYG days, right? What you see is actually what you get or the experience that you have is going to be realized when you ultimately receive whatever it is you're receiving. And again, that's not just retail. It's not food and fashion. It also goes into educational experiences and healthcare experiences. And, and how do you make sure that the healthcare professional on the other end of a, of a telehealth or you know, telemedical is actually able to diagnose you based on what's really happening with you as opposed to what maybe the client can't really articulate very well. And, and I've experienced that. I've done some of those. And, and I'm, you know, what hurts? Uh, me. I, well, no, I need you to be more specific. How do, how do we create that kind of exchange so that the interaction, that transaction meets the expectation, the end expectation of the consumer and the person helping on the line? I think that's going to be in visuals. I think it's going to be in, in the ability to attach video I think it's going to be in the ability to interactively select detail out of videos that you're watching online or experiences that you're seeing. Your ability to take that to another place to get clarification, to get better information, have a better experience. How do we make all those connections happen? How do we build that structure to allow that to happen? That's, I think, where we're going next in the remote world. No, that's awesome. I think you've done one thing for sure is you've convinced people now that you do more than phone books after this conversation. <laughs> All right, Ken. We didn't talk about phone books at all, but what it is time for though, is the lightning round. The lightning round is brought to you by the Salesforce platform, the number one cloud platform for digital transformation of every experience. Ken, this is where we ask you questions not related to work so people can get to know you and your ideas outside of R.R. Donnelly. All right. You ready? Yeah. All right. So how long have you lived in Chicago? 26 years. What is the best place to eat in Chicago? This is a hotly debated. <laughs> if you said this is the place, where am I going in Chicago? Wow. You know what? Gino's East is a go-to place for me. <laughs> okay. For those Gino's East, listen, I've been recommend. I've eaten there and I know that its biggest rival is what? Malnati's? Is that right? You know what? They're good too. So I don't want to get in trouble with my neighbors, but that's my go-to. Sounds good. When it comes to Chicago, tell us what are some of the unique things about Chicago that you love the most? Oh, you know, the lakefront. It's just fantastic. Millennial Park. There's so many wonderful things to do downtown. Um, you know, it's just being down there on any given weekend. You're not going to fall short for things to do, things to see. 
it's just a great experience. And and you don't have to have a plan. Just go down and, and enjoy Chicago. I, I will say the one time I was there over the summer, I was surprised at how blue Lake Michigan really is. Yeah. Oh, it's a one, it's a wonderful experience. Again, be down on the lake shore. And when it gets warm in the summer, volleyball on the beach, fantastic. All right. When is the traffic going to be fixed between O'Hare and downtown? Oh, that, that we're really not trying to do that. That's just a dis- <laughs> no, I don't think uh, I don't think that's ever going to happen. Find an alternate route. That's the only way. Listen, whenever I go to Chicago, I always take the train into the city. So people ask me, why is it? Because it's guaranteed to take less time. I don't care what you say. Like people are always like, well, <laughs> I'd rather take it in and then go get a cab to my hotel than, than drive in. That's it. You got it. So what are some of your hobbies outside of work? You know, um, I, I do love uh, the water. Uh, so my family has a nice uh, place up in um, Wisconsin to get out on the lake often. So we, we spend a lot of time on the lake. Volleyball, pickleball, it's the fastest growing sport in the United States. I love it so much. We built a court in our yard. So um, that's, that's kind of my fun place. There you go. If you want to talk tech, call up Ken. If you want a pickle match, you can call Ken too. He's going to take you on. Pickleball. I'll, I'll, I'll take you on. There you go. Well, Ken, I want to thank you for joining us today on IT Visionaries. Thanks for sharing all the things that you do at R. Donnelly. And we have confirmed you guys are way more than just phone books. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, hey, thanks for having me. It was a lot of fun. Much appreciated. IT Visionaries is created by the team at mission.org and brought to you by the Salesforce platform the number one cloud platform for digital transformation of every experience. Build connected experiences, empower every employee, and deliver continuous innovation with a customer at the center of everything you do. Learn more at salesforce.com slash platform.